0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg. We here at Humankind are trying to strike a balance to make our public radio programs available to you and also to make sure we're able to pay our production costs from office rent to staff time to studio and distribution expenses. The grants we receive from funders you hear named on our programs don't fully cover our operating costs. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep our program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of our homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a grant from the Henry Luce Foundation.
1: I need continual reminding to return to simplicity, not to complicate my life, to take time for being in my everyday life. Because when I fail to return to the simplicity of Taoism, I get caught up. I get lost. I get bewildered by the modern world. How the ageless
0: wisdom of Lao Tzu can help us to appreciate the abundance of a simpler, less harried life. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freud. Jonathan Starr in Princeton, New Jersey, has a special talent. He's unusually gifted at taking spiritually inspired literature written long ago in a foreign tongue and making it elegantly accessible to contemporary English speakers. The ideas expressed in the texts he chooses, including Lao Tzu's Chinese masterwork, Tao De Jing, are often subtle and hard to convey and much could get lost in rendering it from one language and culture to another. So to carry the meaning faithfully, Jonathan Starr views his task as a spiritual
2: exercise. In terms of my translation style, it's, and I do this with Rumi and even when I translated Shakespeare, um, the point is to get into the, the space of where these sages were seeing the world from. So if I go from Chinese to English, that's one thing I, you know, translate the words. But you go from Chinese into your own vision. And then from that vision, which is similar or shared or in resonance with the original vision, then you write the poem from that vision. So the English translation carries that conviction. It carries that connection to life. A lot of scholars, they go from Chinese, and they look up a book, and they know some language, and they translate to English. And so they say the thing that gets lost in spiritual translation is the poetry. But what, else, what also gets lost is the spirit.
3: The inner is foundation of the outer.
0: From Jonathan Starr's translation of Tao Te Ching.
3: The still is the master of the restless. The sage travels all day, yet never leaves his inner treasure. Though the views are captivating and beg attention, he remains calm and uninvolved. Tell me, does the lord of a great empire go out begging for rice? One who seeks his treasure in the outer world is cut off from his own roots. Without roots, he becomes restless. Being restless, his mind is weak. And with a mind such as this, he loses all command below heaven.
0: People who resonate with this kind of wisdom are often drawn to develop spiritual awareness in their own lives. Most of the great religious traditions contain many gems of knowledge that can nourish and guide seekers. But in a world with so many conflicting messages, where do people searching for deep knowledge look? It's a question
2: Jonathan Starr has grappled with. The best possible thing you can do is find someone who's already in that state. Find a teacher to guide you. Find a teacher to to be with, to talk to, um, because, again, as long as you're relying upon your own mind to get you there, to read the books, to put forth the intention, to do whatever it needs, you're you're already going to be misled. But when you're with a teacher who's in that state, it starts to vibrate. It's like a two strings of a you know, guitar, one's vibrating. That, to me, is the crucial component. And uh, there are more and more people. They don't have to be a guru or teacher. It could just be being in the company of of, uh, people who are either in the state or moving towards the state.
0: And old Lao Tzu describes the characteristics of someone whose wisdom is worth learning from.
3: The sage embraces the one and becomes a model for the world. Without showing himself, he shines forth. Without promoting himself, he is distinguished. Without claiming reward, he gains endless merit. Without seeking glory, his glory endures. The sage knows how to follow, so he comes to command. He does not compete, so no one under heaven can compete with him. The ancient saying... Surrender Brings Perfection is not just empty words. Truly, surrender brings perfection, and perfection brings the whole universe. The great Tao flows everywhere. It fills everything to the left and to the right. All things owe their existence to it, and it cannot deny any one of them. Tao is eternal. It does not favor one over the other. It brings all things to completion without their even knowing it. Tao nourishes and protects all creatures, yet does not claim lordship over them. So we class it with the most humble. Tao is the home to which all things return, yet it wants nothing in return. So we call it the greatest. The sage is the same way. He does not claim greatness over anything. He's not even aware of his own greatness. Tell me, what could be greater than this?
0: I noticed that your translation describes the principle of Taoism As simply Tao, which makes it interchangeable with the word God. Not so much the Tao as Tao. One verse of your translation reads, Tao is limitless, unborn, eternal. It can only be reached through the hidden creator. Listen to her voice. Hear it echo through creation. Without fail, she reveals her presence. Do you see the characteristics of Tao as similar to the qualities of God?
2: I see the characteristics of Tao as synonymous with the qualities of God, but you know, the word God is obviously so loaded. It's been so... You know, when I say God and someone else says God, we're not talking about the same thing. So uh, when someone says God and they're talking about the underpinning of everything, the the unit, everything, the totality, oneness, onlyness, you know, the actual life, life itself. That's that's the that's how some people refer to God, but in the West, it's usually refers to some, you know, I call a guy in the sky, some somebody in the sky out there, uh, some person who is either a, a father or we could call you know. Some loving mother or something, that's a different. I'm not sure what that is exactly, but some when people say God, they're talking about some person uh, in in the sky. There comes a point, you know, in evolution that God becomes more nothing less external, but more you know your own nature. And so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a process. I mean, we need we need the intermarried gods, the all the king gods. Um, at some point. And then, you know, at hopefully, whenever we, we evolve to something that's more consistent with what is actually true.
0: But you don't see a love of God, a reverence for the divine, as in any way a contradiction to an attempt to embody the Tao?
2: No, I don't see it as a contradiction. I think it can be limiting if if what you're what what you're loving is external to yourself, if what you're loving is some person or some image out there, but um, you mean
0: almost to deny one's own divine dimension,
2: right? If I need a god, if that's out external to my own nature, um, that blocks me from actually seeing my own nature. But I I think I think in many ways it's a good stepping stone. It's a way we need. First, you fear God, then you love God, then you are God. So there's a natural progression that takes place as we evolve. But the Tao can accommodate. The Tao accommodates all of it. The Tao says you want to fear God, fine. You want to love God, fine. You want to hold your own nature as one with God, fine.
0: It is a. A subtle paradox to both acknowledge a need for a higher power and to recognize that we contain that power within us.
2: It's like if I'm praying for something, oh, God, grant me you know, enlightenment, grant me. I'm already acknowledging that I don't have that. Anytime I do an affirmation, oh, please give me something, why am I praying for something to God it's an acknowledgment that I, I'm missing that very thing. So in an ironic way, I'm, I'm reinforcing my own lack. It, it's not, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about attaining anything. I mean, it's about noticing what, this is the hardest thing to realize is, and the Tao keeps saying it's everywhere. It's to notice another part of yourself that's just overlooked. You know, we see what the mind shows us, but there's another dimension to our being that's constantly being overlooked. And the whole Tao is trying to gently point you towards so It's not saying you need to attain it. It's just you need to start noticing it, start to hanging out with it, living it. And it's very, very frustrating to an intellectual mind to kind of... You know, but that—that's really the path. It—it's it, the path of allowing the mind, but also just holding another dimension of yourself. You don't have to get rid of. A lot of people with enlightenment are so afraid. You know, the only way I can attain this is if I go off to some ashram and take some vows. And the, nowadays, people realize that that's that's a whole fantasy. It's already here, and it's a question of simply noticing you know, what's already present. And it's very, very difficult because we've been trained again and again to see only what the mind is showing us. Again, it's that fish looking for the very water that it's swimming in already. And that's the Tao. That that water, that ocean that we're swimming in. I have some translations in this book. This is from verse 14. Eyes look but cannot see it. Ears listen but cannot hear it. Hands grasp but cannot touch it. Beyond the senses lies disunity, invisible, inaudible, intangible. What rises up appears bright. What settles down appears dark. Yet in truth there is neither darkness nor light, just an unbroken dance of shadows from nothingness to fullness and back again to nothingness. This formless form, this imageless image cannot be grasped by mind or might. Try to face it, in what place will you stand? Try to follow it, to what place will you go? Know that which is beyond all beginnings and you will know everything right here and now. Know everything in this moment, and you will know the eternal Dao.
0: Jonathan Starr in Princeton, New Jersey, reading from his evocative English translation of Dao De Jing, the ancient masterpiece of Chinese wisdom by Lao Tzu. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more about this topic and to obtain an audio download of our program, The Way of Tao, please visit humanmedia.org. As we've discussed, Tao Te Ching has been rendered into many dozens of English versions. Some attempt a literal translation from the original Chinese, but others offer a different kind of interpretation, such as the Tao of Leadership by the late John Hyder. He was a therapist and longtime member of the Esselon Institute in Big Sur, California. John's book framed the principles of Lao Tzu, into a richly insightful guidebook for people wishing to apply the Taoist concepts to life in organizations. I met John Hyder at his home in Lawrence, Kansas.
1: Our technology has never been equaled in the world. The complexity of our lives is phenomenal. I need continual reminding to return to simplicity, not to complicate my life to take time for being in everyday life, to observe Sabbath or Shabbat in my everyday life. Because when I fail to return to the simplicity of Taoism, I get caught up, I get lost, I get bewildered by the modern world. A concrete example is I don't drive a car much, I drive a car about 5,000 miles a year. It would be hard for me to lead a life in which I drove a car 15 or 20,000 miles a year, and I don't get much support from the culture around me for walking most places or not using a car much. And Lao Tzu and Taoism gives me that support. The most famous... Symbol of Taoism is that familiar yin-yang sign, the circle with the S in it, and one side's black and one side's light. And that yin-yang sign that has become so familiar is illustrating the point that all creation consists of a dance of opposites and that everything holy is paradoxical. And by paradoxical, I mean the coexistence of opposites. So, for example, who is the richer person? The one with lots of possessions and lots of debt and lots of things that, to look after or the person leading a simpler life with plenty of free time and with relatively few things to be responsible for? Everything I own also owns me, because I must care for it. And so paradoxically, the freer person is the person with fewer needs.
0: And the person who can recognize
1: all of the worth in what already is there. Absolutely. An example from my life has been the very deep lesson I live in a plain state in the middle of the country. We have no beautiful oceans or stunning mountains. Here in flat Kansas. Here in flat Kansas. For me, it's been very important to discover the deep beauty in the ordinary landscape in the plains. For me to want to live in the most stunningly beautiful parts of the country would involve enormous expense and complexity in my life, if nothing more the price of real estate. So paradoxically, learning that the trees and the clouds, the grass growing and the birds singing, has as much intrinsic beauty as the dramatic mountains and the ocean crashing on the rocks beneath the cliff is freedom to find beauty in the
0: ordinary. Because if we can cultivate an ability to find contentment anywhere, we can take that with us everywhere.
1: And you know and I know that we live in a consumer-driven, media-dominated environment, and a big purpose of both the media, of advertising, of consumerism, of our economy, is to keep us unsatisfied and always needing, making us think we need more beautiful things, people and places. To learn to be satisfied, to be content in a context, in a social environment of so many messages that we should not be satisfied That is an art. That is a discipline. It's really a skill we have to work at developing. Yes, we have to work at developing. And it probably takes years to get the flu shot that immunizes us from always wanting a newer car or a bigger house.
0: The theme that runs through this whole philosophy and runs through it like a river is to go with the flow. Even when life situations are hard, to remember that nature's way is to balance things gradually, that problems regulate themselves eventually. As you put it in the book, learn to trust what is happening. If there is silence, let it grow something will emerge. If there's a storm, let it rage.
1: It will resolve into calm. The goal is not just to love the sunny days and hate the storm. It's to understand that all weather is process, that the seasons are process. It doesn't matter if I like one and dislike the other. I'm to learn to be interested in the unfolding process, no matter whether it's sunny or a storm. It's the same way with happiness. The goal of our work in Taoism is not to be happy, it's to lead a meaningful and conscious life through happy times and sad. Every life will have tragedy, every life will have loss, every life will have sadness, and it's for me to be present on those grim and stormy days also, and to learn from that side of life.
0: In part because the deepest lessons sometimes arise at those trying times.
1: What the people in 12-step programs speak of is let go and let God, or what we sometimes call living in process, to allow things to evolve.
0: Is there a danger of leading to passive of a life?
1: We need a balance between doing and being, between yin and yang. If a person goes all the way overboard into a life of being and passivity and allowing, that life will be no more healthy than a life of doing, 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 busy, 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 a workaholic's life. Somehow, We must learn to balance. The example of a sailboat comes to mind. I am not sailing the boat when I simply lie back and look at the sun. Sailing the boat is a continual matter of balancing. My hand on the tiller, my hand on the main sheet, the forces of nature, of doing, being, doing, being, because otherwise the boat will simply drift away. But if I try to over-control the boat, it probably will tip over. I must cooperate with the force of nature in a continual dance.
0: One observation that Lao Tzu in his book Dao De Jing keeps returning to is the power of silence as a source of understanding and healing, that in a conflict, if a person can get inwardly quiet, much clarity will come. As Lao Tzu put it, those who know don't talk, those who talk
1: don't know. I believe it can be said of our culture and perhaps of most cultures that we reflect too little on what we've seen before we act on it. Of course, there will be times when I must act on the spur of the moment in emergencies, but the vast majority of my life is not an emergency. It almost never hurts to take time for reflection, to sleep on it, and then see what is the wisdom. And it's very hard to stay silent. If I am to have stillness in my life, I must take action, I must have discipline, I must say no to the world. It's for me to set aside time, to be quiet with myself, to have uncommitted time, It's for me to set aside time to be quietly together with my partner or my family. It's for me to set aside days. Sabbath exists in every major world path, and the reason for that is the universal recognition that without being time, I will become ill from too much doing. There is a central concept that we have within us a higher and deeper self. This could be called the Buddha nature, it could be called the Christ within, it could be called my higher self. Part of my task in living is to know how to access this higher self so that I can live in accordance with its wisdom. It is my higher self that knows how to heal me when I am hurt. It is my higher self that grows me, that teaches me how to live in a really fruitful, growing way. And it is my higher self that leads me to those moments of self-transcendence, those spiritual epiphanies, those peak experiences. There can be No deeply meaningful Taoism or any other path of life, any other way of life, that does not offer me some means of contacting my higher self so that I can grow and live more fully in the spirit.
0: And is that means of contacting the higher self primarily one of inner listening?
1: Yes, you're back to the theme of silence. I need time to be silent and to listen to my inner voice. It is that inner voice that will write the poems of my life. Leonard Cohen said, If I knew where the songs came from, I would go there more often. (laughs) I've always loved Leonard Cohen, and I love that insight.
0: The late John Hyder, therapist and author of an interpretation of Lao Tzu's classic of Chinese wisdom, the Tao of Leadership. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart rose Editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, Mark Kilstein, and Bond Collard. Webmaster, Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Laura Carlo, David Hopkins of the Princeton University Broadcast Center, and to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media.
3: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.
0: This segment, part two of The Way of Tao, is Humankind program number 230.
3: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio.